This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Steve Martoretto. You're invited to join us each program. We speak to a lot of experts in the behavioral health field. We're trying to foster diverse and meaningful conversations about substance abuse and mental health. The whole thing sponsored by Retreat Behavioral Health, about which more, well, in a couple of minutes. Uh, so we're heading off into the holidays, and uh, you know what? I have a well-deserved reputation as being uh, pretty uh, grinchy when it comes to this stuff. My favorite uh, expression about th- this time of the year is, uh, well, the holidays have us by the throat again. <laughs> so everybody knows what I'm talking about. We all want to enjoy ourselves during the holidays, but it's a highly stressful time. It, it can be difficult for, for just anybody. Uh, one can imagine uh, what people who are in a recovery from substance abuse or suffering from mental illness uh, face during a season when you are absolutely mandated to have a good time and be cheerful and in the bosom of your family. Well, it's not like that for a lot of people. It's difficult. Uh, but it is something that people um, in particular who are suffering from substance abuse have to navigate their way through. So last year, we reached out to experts in the field of navigating your way through difficult times at the holidays uh, with a couple of our uh, our colleagues here at Retreat in Lancaster County, our good, good friends to the program, Maggie Hunt and Grace Schober. Welcome back, ladies. Thank Hi. Bo- both of these women, in addition to running Retreat, um, are... are business uh, development managers, and both are deeply involved in the very, very successful retreat uh, alumni program. We'll, we'll talk all about their work ahead. So uh, welcome then again to the program. This is the second one we're doing with Grace and Maggie, Home for the Holidays, in ways that Bing Crosby never, ever <laughs> imagined. Um, you know, I told you before we went and, uh, on the show, as I was waiting for you guys to come in to do the, to do the interview, that I have... I, this is the truth too. I'm not. I'm not blowing smoke or flattery. I have an amazingly hard time talking to you too about your your background, about you know where you came from, and how you got where you are today. And it's because of where you are today that I have difficulty. These I'm going to tell you right in front of them. These are the two of the, two of the most accomplished young women you're ever going to run into. They are totally competent. They have the confidence of everyone they work with, and they're mothers and they're career women. And um, that might not seem remarkable to you until you hear where they, how they got here. So uh, we're going to talk to Maggie and Grace again, and I thank you so much. I mean every word of that. So how, Mag, start us. How, how many holidays do you recall now where you were either in active uh, substance abuse or trying to get sober from, and y- you had to go home for the holidays? Well, I would say probably from the time that I started using till the time I got sober, there was five years of holidays that were basically nightmares for me and probably for everyone around me. Um, but since so that was probably from the time I was like 16 to 21. Um, and then there's been, I guess it would be 11 years now, sober and active members of my family. Yeah. yeah by, by the way, I almost forgot that. The great good news is over 15 years of sobriety between these two women. And for you, Grace, how many holidays did you uh, soldier your way through? I, I would say, too, just about four or five um, that either I didn't remember, I remembered very angrily in treatment. Um, you know, so definitely at least four, maybe five um, 
holidays that were were pretty terrible for myself and others. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, we say holidays. We're now we you know as we as we enter into the uh, Thanksgiving uh, weekend and and then Christmas. We're talking about all kinds of holidays and family gatherings and birthday parties and at what at what point. The, I'm trying to say, did you have to summon up the courage and energy to do this? Were there times when your family said, don't even bother showing up? I mean, and what does that do to you when you're trying to either, you know, trying to get sober? Well, is it a motivator? Like, do you mean in my addiction or in my recovery? Because I think in my addiction, my family probably... Uh, they always wanted me to be there, and I think that they always had really high hopes of, like, what it was going to look like. So they kept giving me, like, the chances that it would be good So in my addiction. But for myself, I got sober in July. Um, so my first – and I was in treatment um, from, like, July on, and I lived in, like, a halfway house. And I had gotten out of the halfway house into a recovery house a couple weeks before Thanksgiving. Um, and that – when my, you know, I was threatened, you know, maybe in August that I wasn't going to be allowed to come home for the holidays. So, um, because they wanted me to stay up in Scranton where I was living. So that holiday was probably difficult for me because it was like the first one. And I knew that people were super on edge about me being there. Nobody trusted me literally as far as they could, you know, put arm's length to me really. Um, Trust you not to do what? Steal from them or, or get drunk um, or, you know, or, or run away. Mostly steal from them, though. Yeah. yeah and and uh, Grace, the, the idea that your family views you as a nightmare mm. uh, must be – it didn't even matter. <laughs> it didn't matter, though, did it, at some point? You just, <laughs> you just sort of blew past the, that, right? Yeah, no, I didn't care at all that they thought I was a nightmare because I thought they were the nightmares. <laughs> and, you know, I was uninvited several times to holidays. Um, and it wasn't a motivator at all for me. It was like, I can't believe that they're going to miss out on a great time, <laughs> you know. Um, and it would really cause a wedge between other family members and those family members because my mom refused to go to Thanksgiving because I was uninvited and she's not going to go if all her kids can't go. And I was happy about that. And I still didn't spend Thanksgiving with her. So so you're shattering the- – <laughs> So you're shattering the whole the other family dynamic because sure. people are choosing sides, yep. trying to figure out who's doing the right thing. Where did you so that that first holiday when you said just don't show up? Where where did you what did you do? Well, that was one of the last ones um, that I was told not to show up to, and I preferred to be walking around the streets in Reading using drugs instead. Again, we're going to have to revisit this stuff. When you say preferred, for, mm-hmm. for people who go, what is she talking about? Mm-hmm. What, what in the world? What, did you, what do you mean you preferred it? Well, because you're at a point where um, you no longer have control of yourself. And so the drug has a control completely of your body. So for me, I felt more comfortable being in a drug-infested environment than I did actually being with people who love me because I felt like the drugs love me more. So that's that's what I mean by that. Yeah, uh, you uh, are. You've told us this story before, but we'll repeat it again. And we, by the way, we do this and certainly not for any period reasons. It, these two are success stories. They are, and I know they both of them believe that if they could straighten their lives out as they have, well, anybody can do it. I mean, because again, they they had serious problems. You, uh, Grace, you you fought to get your kid. Your kids weren't even a motivator for you, right? No. Nope, they weren't. Yeah, I felt like they were definitely better off without me. Um, And nothing they did begging me to stay or anything like that, nothing they did 
was strong enough to like pull me away from the grips that I was in. It just wasn't. You know, that dynamic, which is not unique to you, I mean, it's very, it's very, 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 very common, uh, is a kind of double-edged sword w- with regard to the perception of the disease of addiction. On the one hand, it should say that's how powerful this thing is. But on the other hand, people go, well, if you can't get yourself straightened out with kids, well, then there's something wrong with you. Correct. Well, yeah, that's what they say. But I think that um, that's why I firmly believe, and there's uh, th- there's thousands of research studies to prove it that it's a it is a brain disorder more than anything else. Because there's because black and white, what you're saying like makes sense. Like, of course you would want to. Of course you love your children unconditionally. Of course that's what you would want to do. But when you were like when you are stuck in the grips of the addiction, like you don't, there's no, there's no choice in the matter after that. And people can, people say all the time, like, oh, that's a cop out, whatever, but it's not, it's really not. No, I mean, nobody chooses to be away from their kids without something else holding them back. And that's why there is a need for treatment because love can't get somebody sober. If it could, we wouldn't need treatment centers. So, Absolutely. If it was just a question of making up your mind to do it, then you'd just make up your mind to do it. Mm-hmm. And again, to make the point of what Grace and Maggie are talking about, they were not sort of ca- – you guys were not casual – drug users your behavior didn't make you quirky or you know hard to be around you were you both homeless you were homeless for a long time right yes yep yep and mag were you homeless oh yeah by choice by choice choice. yeah really i mean think (laughs) about that think think about think about it rather live in a would you you lived in an abandoned house or something right yep yep and on the streets too at first it was definitely by a choice but i was not welcome home because i was I was nasty, and I, I know I've heard stories of Maggie. Too. She was nasty too. No, we Maggie just, wasn't. We were just, no, we were nasty people to be around, and that's just how it was. But the thing I think that gets me every time is that both of our parents like literally love us unconditionally, and there weren't hard stipulations to live at home. Here was what it was: <laughs> just don't use drugs and live in the house. And we both were like, you know what? Mm, can't do those it. Are too hard of terms. <laughs> Sorry, can't. Can't do that. <laughs> Seriously, this is uh, it's extraordinary, and I'm telling you, if these two are like still semi staggering around, or they were, they are unbelievably successful and competent people now. It's it's extraordinary, and they and and because I have such empathy for anybody who says, "Oh my God, I got to go, I got to go to Thanksgiving dinner," uh, this is a great uh, this is a great topic for us. It's we're we're having fun with it and laughing, but it it's not. Uh, it's not easy. You know, uh, Grace, I'm fast. You, you, I guess both of you, but you, you sort of had anger issues on top of everything else. I mean, were you, you probably would have been angry if you weren't using drugs. Am I, am I right about that? Yeah, I, I definitely had, I, I was definitely like a sweet person growing up, but um, the drugs definitely took over. I was, na- I was a mean person for sure. I mean, there are horror stories about me as a patient at retreat. Maggie had to deal with those. She helped me to get sober while in retreat was one of my biggest supports. And um, I, I I was brutal. What do you remember about uh, about her as a patient? Oh, my. Well, I, my, okay. So I always had good experiences with her. But, I mean, she, like, threw a chair at a therapist. She kicked the trash can. I mean, she was, she, you know, she wouldn't let anybody, like, cross her or tell her what to do if she didn't think that there was good intent or something. 
Yeah, I was always kind to Maggie because I liked being around her and um, she was really – like I, a part of me really wanted to be sober, um, but I just couldn't do it. But I knew that Maggie knew how to do it. So I would like sit there. She'd like read through the big book with me and like do all – actually like want to be around me, which I wasn't like used to. Um, but people that like said anything nasty to me, like, yes, I threw a chair at my therapist's head. Really upset I didn't take her out at the time, you know, punching walls and just like everything just because I was so stuck, you know, and it was like kind of a, a cry for help, too. And just because of all that, you weren't welcome at Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Can't believe it. Grace Schober and Maggie Hunt are uh, with us talking about home for the holidays while negotiating their way through some serious substance abuse problems. This is Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Uh, welcome back to Recovery Radio. Uh, this is our, it's going to be annual now. It's the second year in a row. We've had Maggie Hunt and Grace Schober with us. Uh, a couple of uh, very accomplished, uh, very, very sober and successful people. Between the two of them, over 15 years of sobriety. They both work uh, in uh, important capacities for retreat behavioral health. And they join us many times during the year, but this time of the year, to talk about what it's like trying to stay sober, be sober, and integrate back into the family during that period of time when, damn it, you're mandated. <laughs> Show up, eat food, have a good time. Uh, it's difficult. The holidays can be very difficult and stressful, and we're talking to them about that. But before we get back into the holiday thing and how many times you knocked over Christmas trees, I'll bet you, I'll bet you that happened <laughs> once or twice. Uh, the idea that you two found each other is kind of interesting. So, 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 Maggie, you're four, five, six years sober when you, when Grace comes in as a, a real uh, full time job for folks up here, and something's going. You, you sort of gravitate towards her, she to you. Yeah, I mean, I think that when I first went to treatment back in two thousand and nine. People weren't going to treatment in the capacity that they are now. So for me, like when I would tell people that I was in treatment like 10 times, most people are like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, God. You know, how can you do that? Um, so like you get tired of telling people that over and over again. And then I met Grace and she had been in treatment more times than me. And I was like, whoa. You know what I mean? That's but um, but I, 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 I got to know her over the times that she was at retreat. And there was definitely – I mean I, I told her, which is – an unethical and I probably would have gotten in trouble if I worked at a different facility if I was like hey I want to be your friend after you're sober a little while seriously <laughs> yeah well I wanted and definitely looked up to her and people said you could be like her if you like stay sober and I would laugh at him because I'm like there's no way because she was like you look at her and she was so great and she was like you know helping you so much and you're like there's no way that I'll get to that point but um yeah I would leave treatment and several times I would like you know try and contact through alumni or whatever and you know but then my last time I actually like contacted her and was like I'm going to a meeting today I'm doing this I'm you know doing everything that I was supposed to um, or try to do everything that I could anyway to just get to where she was at you know it's an interesting phenomenon that you describe about looking at someone who who is managing it and thinking I, there's no way I'll be able to do that you must have had a similar situation early on going, well, I, I don't care how many people in this room are sober. I, I'm never getting sober. Yeah. So when – so was it just her example? Did it, it, there's something else has got to be going on. Right? Um, well, that was a huge thing for me was like seeing somebody else that was like – I always thought – they look so cool working at retreat and like their little like blue retreat shirts. And I was like, that's good. I want to, I want to do that someday, but that'll never happen. But I would, I think just having like people 
and I attribute like really Maggie helping me to get sober because she was like a huge support. She didn't just like die out and not, you know, um, stay involved. Like when I left treatment and then I asked her to be my sponsor to like help me go through the steps and things. And it was just like a constant person there to like help you. Um, it was, that's really what, what helped me. When, when someone is in active addiction, one of the things, and I think everybody or a lot of people can, can appreciate this without having uh, abused drugs. But when you're in active addiction, and you're looking at the world going on around you. We're talking about going over the holidays, which is the heightened example of what I'm talking about. When you look out at the world, it doesn't make any sense to you, does it? Mm-mm. It's like, what are all these people doing? Why are they able to do it? Yeah. I got to go get high. Yeah, or like right? everybody's definitely doing drugs. Mm-hmm. There has to be. There's no way. That's the only way they're able there's to. There's no way you don't smoke pot, Steve. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, <laughs> you have to, right? I turned, at one point, you were probably right about it. No, what I'll, I'll tell you why I experienced this. When I, when I uh, would uh, struggle, to, I, tr- I had a career, short one, with writing. Writing's hard. Writing's alone. You're alone. It's hard to do that. Uh, at least I found it hard. I remember going out, anything to interrupt the, anything to interrupt the work. And that's what substance abuse is, sort of, anything to interrupt the pain and everything. Mm-hmm. So I would go and check the mail 30 times a day, even though I knew the mail arrived every day at the same time. I did it just to break up the pain of trying to write. And I would look at the mailman as he delivered the mail and envy him thinking, what a great, look at that. <laughs> he, he knows exactly what he has to do every day. It's wonderful. I would come in and wish I was a mailman. So you're looking at the world. You said the little blue shirts. That That's wonderful because you look, that's what I want. I want a little blue shirt in my life mm-hmm. that, make, that makes sense. So you get the holidays where there's a whole regiment of expected behaviors and it must get really really difficult so what what was is there a better holiday or a worse holiday for the situation what was christmas like well i was going to say for my family it was expected to like drink and to like and do substances at the holidays so that on on my one side on my one side it was that was much more accepted that that's what you were supposed to do um, on the other side it was like a little bit different they drank a little bit less and didn't use drugs but it's hard when the expectation when you go to when you're sober and you go to an expectation of like you're going to walk in and even though they know you went to rehab 10 times and they know you're a mess they're going to be like what are you drinking you know what i mean so. <laughs> was that your case no no my no my family my mom's side of the family more like irish catholic type from philadelphia they were drinkers um but up here, my family, they don't drink. Um, so that wasn't the problem. My problem was like, why? Because I think drugs they and alcohol, they isolate you so much that I couldn't understand why everybody wanted to be together. Like, I was like, that sounds like a nightmare. I know that feeling. <laughs> you know, yeah, I really did. I, it, it sounded like a nightmare to me that I would have to... I, I was looking forward to not being invited. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Did, did the anticipation of the holidays while you were in active use accelerate your your drug your drug use in any at any times or? Yeah. You did, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Well, because especially if I because like there was from the time I was eighteen to twenty one, I was like in between treatment and like getting out of treatment. So a lot of those times were like around the holidays, and so I knew that like I could definitely go here, I'd definitely sneak a couple, two, three in, and nobody would mm. notice. 
Um, and so most of my relapses were surrounded around holidays. In yeah, fact. Grace? I would say mine's the opposite. I My days were so mixed together that it wasn't something I was looking forward to. It wasn't really something I was dreading. It was just like another day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for me, it wasn't my drug use was just accelerated on its own. Yeah. Yeah. As uh, Rocky Balboa said, it may be Thanksgiving to you, Paulie, but it's Thursday to me. Maggie and uh, Grace are with us uh, talking about Home for the Holidays here on Recovery Radio. Don't go away. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Steve Martorano with you. Uh, What we do on this program is we talk about a wide range of uh, subjects that fall under the uh, category of behavioral health now, which is what our underwriter, our sponsor, uh, refers to themselves now that they've broadened their portfolio Retreat Behavioral Health has for many, many years been uh, uh, just a renowned uh, substance abuse facility. They've helped lots and lots of people. They now have uh, broadened their um, their um, services to include mental health issues, standalone mental health issues. They've been dealing with mental health in one form or another uh, through substance abuse for years as well, but now they're sort of a distinction being drawn. That's why it's behavioral health that we talk about. But I tell you every week that they sponsor the program and have for years, not because they're here to tell you it's the only place that can offer help. They, they, they're great. They have helped lots of people. They've helped the people we're talking to today. Um, they're here to inform and educate you on both these issues now, the mental health issues and substance abuse issues. I, I urge you, if you have any, any problems, questions, anything about the care you're getting now or care you need, uh, questions about insurance, whatever you, you need. You'll get you'll get a sympathetic and knowledgeable voice if you call this number, 855-859-8808. That's how you reach behavioral, uh, retreat behavioral health, 855-859-8808. And here's the truth, too. We hope you never have to use the phone number. Maggie Hunt and Grace Schober, our guests, these are, make no mistake about it, two of my favorite people, uh, certainly my favorite guests on the program. <laughs> Just insulted everybody's been on the program. <laughs> they uh, have between them over 15 years of sobriety. They're very successful, um, both uh, wives, mothers, and uh, career people. Be- uh, by the way, how- between the two of you, how many kids? Ten? Th- six between the two six, of us. Six. Yeah. What are the ages of your kids, Grace? Eleven, almost ten, and four. And eight, four, and three. Uh Grace, just a moment about your you had you had to struggle to get your kids back, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yep. My parents took custody of my two oldest kids. I had my daughter in sobriety. Yeah, we're going to get back to this holiday thing, but th- what you have a lot in common, you, you two, obviously. But there's some stark differences in, in the family dynamic. Uh, Maggie, you alluded to it a second. Grace, Grace, your family, your mom, anyways, what I understand from reading, was the one inclined to go. That's it. You you got to get out. You got to get away. The tough love dynamic. T- tell us about that. That's that's almost in some people's minds. That's almost as inconceivable as a substance abuse problem. Mm-hmm. The family that can go. You got to leave. Mm-hmm. T- tell us about that. Yeah, I think you know my my dad was always my biggest enabler, and it was killing me. Um, because that's what enabling does. And my mom was like really quick to be like. We're done. See you later. You know, this and that. My grandma, the same thing. I went home on Thanksgiving to my grandma's house and all my pictures were off the walls. So I wasn't calm about that. I threw a fit and I wanted to know like why that was. And I like, you know, I stormed out then afterwards. But she told me that she knew I wasn't going to make it through my addiction and she had to start grieving my death then and there. And she couldn't wait for it to happen. So she took everything about me out of the house. So... 
there that's I mean there's three different ways that people deal with it kind of like anger tough love enabling and then like just trying to you know bury somebody you know your your, your family members arrived at that difficult decision on their own they weren't in any kind of counseling and I mean they just got to the point where they they had to walk away from this uh, yeah they were just tired of it you know I've been in so many different treatment centers they've gotten a bunch of different I mean they didn't go to like Al-Anon or anything like that or individual counseling that I'm aware of they could have <laughs> and not told me um, but not that I'm aware of I think they were just tired yeah I didn't ask you this should have done it at the beginning what are the years between when and when we're talking about them when you were in uh, active use and 20 to uh, 20 years old to 20. Five or 24 would have been like my major years. I started using, you know, things before that, um, but not to a point where I lost my kids and everything. Yeah. So from 20 to 24 was when things were terrible. Yeah. And uh, you started with substances just as any normal kid would experimenting and yeah, 13 years old, smoking weed, drinking with my friends, thinking it was like normal. And, um, throughout the years it just progressed. You didn't have a history of this uh, disease in your family, did you? Well, my mom's in recovery from alcoholism. Uh, my mom's side of the family is definitely a lot of alcoholics. Yeah. But not on my dad's side at all. My brother and sister had no problems. (laughs) Um, but you know, so I just had to throw a little, little spice into the family. (laughs) Everybody needs a character. Uh, what's your situation, Maggie? What was your situation with the family? Um, well, I, at, out of everybody in my family, I was the first to get sober. So, na- like, now I have multiple people in my family who are sober. Like, I have cousins on my mom's side who are sober. Um, and so on her side, I was the first person to even think about recovery. And same with my dad's, actually. Um, I know that a couple of them had gone to treatment, but there wasn't, like, there was no extended long-term recovery. So I pretty much just paved the way. For like what you need to do. You were a trailblazer, <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but with regard to how they dealt with you during your active um, uh, abuse, was it did, did it ever reach a point where they said, don't come around here anymore? Mm, pro- well, the last time I went to treatment, because um, every time I went to, I went to treatment nine times, and every time I went to treatment, my mom would, you know, I would come home and she'd like paint my room or like try to remove people, places and things and like take my car, take all that stuff. And, like, drive me everywhere, do all that kind of stuff. So she really tried to um, be, like, super codependent on me. Um, and, and she just lovingly. Um, but she got a lot of slack from her family because they would all be like, well, you're not doing this right or you're not doing that right. Um, so I tried, like, living at different family members' houses to see, like, who could do it better. And, and that still, like, didn't work. The last time that I went to treatment, um, they were like, you can't come home. Not because we don't want you to, but it's just no good for you. So then that was when I... Got, and that was the time that I got sober. So I went to a halfway house and then a recovery house. How many times in and out of rehab were you? Well, just inpatient alone is 10, plus like just random times for outpatient. I don't know. Inpatient 10 Oh, inpatient 10 times, yeah. Yeah. And then um, uh, there was like two different times at like uh, Suboxone Maintenance because it was very new at the time. It was this magic pill at the time. It was what I thought. Now I definitely see things significantly different. You both have, by the way, both had heroin habits. <laughs> Yep. No, no. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. How many times were you in uh, a treatment, Grace? Fourteen. Fourteen times. Mm-hmm. So people go, well, seriously, uh, proves treatment doesn't work. And I always say to them, actually, I think it proves it does work because they keep trying. They keep, yeah. why? Why did you keep? 
there were times when you were mandated to go back, I'm sure. But you went back a lot of times because you thought, I'm going to try again? Yeah, and the thing is, like, just if you go to the doctors and they tell you to, you know, stop eating this way, you're sick, and they don't eat this, don't smoke, cigarettes, you know, all that kind of stuff. You went to the doctors, they did their job for telling you what what you need to do, and then you just didn't follow what you were supposed to do. So that's the why I went to treatment so many times. I Probably the same for Maggie, too, is, like, they – they give you what you're supposed to have, and then it's up to you to follow it. Um, and it gives that separation to the drug and to the alcohol. Um, but it, you know, it it's not that like today you can't go back that many times. That we would like to make that very clear. Like back when we got sober, people weren't dying every single day from you know drug overdoses because of the synthetic opiates like fentanyl carfentanil so you don't have the luxury anymore to go back that many times and although we're in so many times we do like to point that out that that is a really extreme amount of times we're very bottom of the barrel worked our way back up but it's it's a lot more dangerous today yeah you're going to see that number change yeah. about the people the number of people who go go in and out of a, a treatment because they don't make it yeah but i also will say that probably the first six times I went to treatment, it was never because I was like, I need to get sober. Mm -hmm. Like the first time it was court mandated and then all of the other times, to be honest with you, it was really just because like I didn't want to have to like have a conversation with my mom about like why I relapsed because I didn't have any good answers. And so I knew what would get everybody off my back would be to go into treatment. So I was that person in treatment sometimes. It was like, I'm just going to go out and get high when I, you know, like. I had I went through the process. Yeah, it's more of a pit stop, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me just recharge and yeah. clean you up yeah. a little yeah. bit yeah. and then yeah. send you on your way. Yeah. 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 Cool. So it was like that for the first couple of times. It probably wasn't until I went to a treatment center that our CEO was working at at the time that I like felt and saw things differently. Uh, do you Grace, do you remember if 14 visits? Do you remember uh is it a cumulative effect? to get you to the point where you go, I'm really going to try this time? Or do you just wind up there? Is there a peak moment? Or how does it work? I don't really know how it works, to be honest with you. It's like, you know, everybody, I I had times in treatment, like, for example, maybe like my 10th time in treatment was worse of like a homelessness for me. And I came in like worse than I did my 14th time. But my 14th time, I was just tired. I heard things differently. You know, I finally was able to, you know, so it wasn't a matter of it being my absolute worst run that landed me back in treatment. I had worse ones before that. It was just time. Yeah, there's an exhaustion that sets in. I've heard that many, many times where nothing in particular changes Mm -hmm. except this notion that I can't do this anymore. Let me try something something else. Yeah, if you have no other option. I mean, you know, I had the plan B, which was my dad all the time. So when I didn't have plan B, I had to give plan A a chance. Um, We're going to get into the uh, we're going to get into this uh, notion of what happens, you know, actually during the holidays. And uh, you guys would be a a great um, source of information for folks listening who are dreading uh, these holidays because they've got folks with problems that are going to wind up coming around and uh, and wanting to have a holiday. Um, you know, the, fam- the families are affected by this. We, we, we know that. They're affected by it profoundly. And the last thing they want is anybody to – they've already messed up the rest of the year. Um, let's try, try not to mess up uh, this holiday. So uh, before we get into that final segment, j- just this last thing about um, uh, about the you know amount of work that goes into it and the amount of work you put into it, um, 
you're, you're so right. I mean, there's no margin of error now for people. People people can't do what you did, right, Maggie? Say, I'll go in there just to cool out for a while because yeah. I can't wait to get high anymore. Yeah, yeah. well, that's because of insurance and because of the medications, too. I mean, the insurance world, I mean, if you go to treatment, like I went to treatment sometimes where I left on a Friday and was back on a Monday, but anymore, your, your insurance is not going to cover you. And if you don't have funds because you've been in treatment multiple times, there's just no way to get in anywhere. Yeah. And again, the fentanyl makes changes the whole dynamic mm-hmm. because, again, you know, they can Narcan you only so often, and people are going to die. People are dying. Anyway, we're talking about Home for the Holidays in Recovery with our guests Maggie Hunt and Grace Schober. We have another segment with them. Don't go away. This is Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. Um, here we sit now on the um, on the eve, I guess, of another holiday season. Back again. Although it began you know, several weeks ago. Those of you watching television are going out shopping. They play... They play the they play the seasonal music, fifteen seconds after uh, Halloween. It's it's amazing. Um, we're talking about the, the kind of it's not treacherous, but it's it, it needs to be handled with uh, with some intelligence and uh, and planning. If you're in recovery or actively using, and you want to be with your family or going to try during the holidays, we do pro- a program like this every year with our our guest Maggie Hunt. And Grace Schober, because they're they know how they know what they're talking about. So we hope this has been of some help to you. We've talked about their experience and um, the things that happened to them during this period of time in their lives. And I want to take a look now at what you know the the uh, innocent bystanders, as it were, have to do um, and keep in mind. So Maggie, anybody listening now is going, oh boy, here we go. What should they be thinking about with regard to having that person back in their house and their lives? Yeah, I think that if you if you're preparing for you know going into a hol- like the the holiday and you're you know you're going to feel uncomfortable, I would definitely say like do some self care things that you think are going to be good for you. Go to a meeting before you know a couple of days beforehand. Go to church. Do m- meditation. Whatever it is that's like leading you up there. Try to get yourself spiritually centered because the thing is about people is like you. They're not going to change, and it's hard to have expectations on them to ha- to change. And in fact, the expectations end up being like later resentment. Um, so I think that by Number one, by like taking care of yourself and making your like at the best version of yourself before you even step in there is probably going to put you on like a really good footing for how the whole night's going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, and, and just not having any expect, you know, I mean, I, you know, I know from my family on my mom's side of the family when I got sober and then when my cousins ended up getting sober at my mom's side of the family, we just don't really have alcohol there really. Um, and if it is, it's usually beer or wine and it's only a couple people. It doesn't, it's not like ended up like a crazy thing and if you think it's going to be a crazy thing just don't go it's not that big of a deal grace you had that experience that maggie just talked about where you would resent uh any if they weren't going to make accommodations for you right oh yeah i mean everybody was supposed to accommodate me in my mind um but piggyback on what maggie said exactly the same thing all those things are great make sure that people know where you're going um because they'll check in on you so like you know if you have somebody like for example, when I get sober, I would let Maggie or Sam or anybody know like where I was going, and then they would check in and be like, "Hey, how's it going? How are things?" You know, because it is stressful. But 
exactly what Maggie said is one of the most important things. If it's going to be too hard for you or put your sobriety in risk, don't go. There's a ton of – like if you have an AA or an NA clubhouse in your area because they're, they're everywhere. They have ongoing meetings. They have ongoing like things for the holidays um, that you can go to instead and there's going to be people, sober people that are going to have events for you that you can go to. Do not put your sobriety at risk just to be around your family. You still – your family and you, you in particular are still operating a sober living facility in the Lancaster County area, correct? Yeah, three, yep. Yeah, three at three now. Yep. And uh, and you um, you mentioned before we went on the air that you will make sure that the they're all women in your house? All women, yeah. The women in your houses have something to do on the holidays. If not, you'll have a you'll take them somewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. If, you know, we kind of make sure what everybody's doing, um, just like I said you should do, and then if they're not going home or if they think it's not a safe thing, if there's only like one or two people that don't have something to do, we'll bring them with to our families, you know, Thanksgiving or Christmas. Um, or if there's enough women that are staying home for the holidays, they'll have their own meal at the house. Um, there's several, several different options. Yeah, it's one of the ironies, again, that the holidays force us to be together, uh, which is difficult, but being isolated uh, just because it's a holiday can also be uh, uh, difficult with regard to uh, recovery. A couple of other things that uh, people uh, who are who are struggling with this, they need to have a plan. You mentioned mm-hmm. some of that. Um, I read somewhere they need to have an escape, an escape yeah. plan. What does that mean? I mean, like, it means, like, if, you know, like, if I'm going somewhere and I know, like, I'm going to feel uncomfortable, I usually tell, like, one of my friends, like, listen, if I tell you to call me, like, call me so that, you know, so that I have to leave. It's the same thing, like, if you're going on a blind date and, like, it's <laughs> terrible, you can, like, have somebody be like, oh, my God, it's an emergency. So you can do the same thing with your family on the holidays if, like, if anything comes up. But like Grace said, I mean, we still do that with each other. Like, if I'm going somewhere and, like, I'm like, listen, I just need to tell you where I'm going. So, like, if you don't hear from me in, like, three hours, like, come looking for me. You know what I mean? Something like that. Isn't there an app you can buy now where the phone will ring? <laughs> yeah, you could. Do, yeah, there is. You could do something like that too. Yeah. Oh my goodness, a friend of mine <laughs> yeah. is in big trouble. So yeah. sorry, I have to leave. And then, yeah. and then you uh, you just get out. But even uh, if you can't leave, you can have them. You can have like your friends call you or text you the entire time that you're there, so that you're supported for sure. Well, listen, guys. Uh, you know, again, uh, this is uh, for people who are not familiar with this dynamic. You guys are a great help. And again, as I said, two of the most successful. Um, and uh, and uh, kind and competent people uh, who had a real rough go of it but came out the other side. There's a lesson in that for uh, for all of us. Um, where are you going to? Who has the holidays in your in your family? You, which ones uh, are you? Which uh, one do you get? Uh, well, um, I will have my family, husband's family, and part of my family for Thanksgiving. For Thanksgiving. For sure. Yep. Yeah, and anybody else who wants to come, anybody can come to my house because mm-hmm. my kids only eat rolls, so there's lots of food. <laughs> Yeah, I'll go to I'll go to my grandma's house. Um, she always has Thanksgiving, and then um, we go to everybody's house, fiance side, my side on Christmas. It's a busy day. Um, we're traveling all over because people want us around now. Yeah, you know, isn't that great? Yeah. Thanks so much, guys. Yeah. Uh, I, ha- I know you'll have happy holidays. You certainly earned them. And thanks for sharing your experiences with uh, with us. Those of you who enjoy your your holiday. Uh, and uh, keep looking for a Recovery Radio. Um, i got to remind you that uh, we're here um, through the good graces of Retreat Behavioral Health. And once again, if you or somebody you know needs help, 24-7, call 855-859-8808. That's 855-859-0... What did I say? 8-8. 859-8810. He's... He's... Uh, <laughs> 
getting a little tired here. Anyway, <laughs> that's it for us. Take care. Have a happy holiday. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.